and then I gave it to friends and family, colleagues, and then that grew toward lots of word of mouth. There were times when I was working, I would get text messages from random numbers asking me if I had if I had the goods. Wow. Which, which is funny because I, you know, I felt like I was a drug dealer because <laughs> I don't know who these guys are and I don't really know what they're asking for because you know through word of mouth like. I'm not sure if they've quite understood what I was giving out. Yeah. Um, but these were like non-label samples, and the initial one was powder, and it was white powder in a vial. So I kind of wonder, like, <laughs> if they, if they've mistaken it. This is LA is Good for You, a podcast about founders and funders who are building LA's most interesting companies. We are your hosts, Kevin and Suze. On this week's episode, we'll introduce you to Season Lee who left his job at Tesla to found a company that uses science to help you get rid of your hangover. The company made $1 million in just three months with its first product, a morning recovery drink. So Suze, I have to ask, did you try it yet? Did it work? I was so excited that as soon as we finished recording, I ordered it on Amazon and it was 35 bucks for five bottles. That's reasonable. Absolutely. And you know, arrived just before my Friday happy hour and I put it to the test. Uh, the company claims that if you drink a bottle before you start consuming alcohol, you're not going to have a hangover next day. Um, so I drank a little bit of IPA and a little bit of red wine. I put it through its paces and I'm happy to report no hangover on Saturday morning. What about yourself? Have you tried it? You know, I wish I've been on a crazy diet, so I'm looking forward to being able to give it a test sometime in the future. It'll be my pleasure. When we talked to um, Season, he mentioned uh, both Tesla and, and Facebook as companies that taught him a lot. Did you get that feeling that we were talking to him, that we were interviewing somebody who was a tech founder rather than somebody who's building a CPG company. I did. And this is one of those trends that I really like about the Los Angeles area where you're finding founders with technology backgrounds who are going into CPG categories and really shaking them up. So they're going into the the territory that's owned by the Procter and Gambles of the world and applying what they've learned at Facebook and they're creating an entirely new products. So I think it's great that he's taking the the stuff that he learned at Facebook, and he's applying it to a category like morning recovery. And let's pick up the story just there. So we were trying to build free Facebook experience for these these customers that are you know not Americans. And a lot of times when you build product, you, you especially consumer products, you start with intuition. What what would I like? Um, and that model was completely broken here because what mattered to us just didn't matter to them. Um, and we were trying to create a model of Facebook where it used least as least of um, very low amount of data and bandwidth. Otherwise, it's very hard for us to create a program that was self-sustaining for free. You know, so we had to make a model where we had to cut down the cost as much as possible, but still make Facebook experience useful. Um, and for us, we like to think of Facebook as an entertainment value. What is Facebook without a multimedia? Like I certainly wouldn't use it if there's no videos and photos. That's just what I use it for. Um, but there was this this idea of what if we just strip off all multimedia or as much as possible and make Facebook kind of like Twitter over there? The the um, consensus at Facebook headquarters was that was a stupid idea. It's very silly. <laughs> but but once I went, it turned out no one uses Facebook for entertainment. Like it's just not a thing they do. They use it purely for utility. So you have people that don't don't have basic access to reach their community, um, ask questions, use it as a forum, create groups. 
And that you don't need, you, all you need is text and identity. Um, and so the idea of stripping away multimedia and saving a bunch of costs in terms of bandwidth, but enabling um, you know pure utility value as a Facebook experience made a ton of sense to them. And so once I came back and I explained it, people understood. Um, and the data also supported it once we built it that way and we tested it. Um, now, internet.org is much more nuanced than just taking away uh, multimedia, but stuff like that, if you didn't go, you know, you would think it's crazy. Like, why would you build Facebook without videos yeah. or photos? Like, that's just, that's how, what I use it for. But, you know, in other parts of the world, actually, um, it's not as important as you think. Interesting. Yeah. Now, the most important thing, let's talk about your product. Sure. And, you know, um, morning recovery. And what was the idea behind it and how it um, come about? Yeah, it started um, as, a, as a fun project. Because I was at Tesla bef just before I started 82 Labs, which is a parent company of Morning Recovery. And so this wasn't something that I was thinking about for a while. It just kind of grew on me. So I went back to Korea for the first time as a, as a grown uh, adult, um, 2016. And then in Korea, people just drink so much alcohol. So there's a statistics that shows number of shots consumed per week per capita per country. And Korea has been number one for the past 20 years. An average Korean man consumes, average Korean adult consumes 14 to 15 shots of alcohol per week, wow. which is insane because that's average, yeah. right? And the next leading country is Russia at six. So it's double Russia. And number three is, I believe it's either Thailand or US. Um, over there, you just drink every day uh, as part of the culture, especially if you're doing business. They don't want to make deal with you unless you guys are both drunk because they believe that it helps you like be more real. That's like the, their philosophy because Korean is also very, it's a very strict culture where between strangers, you, you want to be very careful what you say and be respectful. And so alcohol kind of like plays a hand in making everybody feel more comfortable. Like in theory, you know, that's what I've heard. And then that's what I've acknowledged. You know, there's no real data to support this. Right. But, you know, um, my first factory was a Korean factory to produce in, and I recall it firsthand. They would they would insist that we go out, and you know I've never dealt with a vendor in the states where they would take me out like that. Um, so, anyways, like people drink a lot, and part of that is obviously everyone suffers you know, <laughs> um, the next day, and so there was already a massive market for all different kind of recovery, especially around hangovers and liver detox. And so that's how I heard about them. I was fascinated. I loved it, but I didn't know I didn't know how to get it in the states. It turns out there's some you know competitors in the states, but it's just not widespread. So I just didn't know about them. And so I brought them over, um, but brought way too many. Then started giving to friends, and then the feedback came in, which is most people loved it, and they wanted to know where they can get it. And then it just kept piling up to the point where I was really curious. Um, you know, for me as a consumer, this isn't a problem because of my Korean background, I can order a bunch, uh, even though it's more expensive, um, I can store it. But for, if all these people want it, how come it's not in the States? How does it work? And so I started looking into the science of it and the core of these Korean um, recovery drinks, um, they have these herbal um, sort of herbal plants called Hovania, which is um, what a lot of these drinks use. And it turned out there's uh, this flavonoid inside Hovania that's been proven to um, help break down alcohol. And that's called D DHM. It's the, the, the acronym. 
And so I started searching it, and there were a few doctors who really studied it at an animal level to show how it can help um, reduce um, sort of the symptoms of alcohol the next morning, break down things like acetaldehyde, which is a uh, toxin form from ethanol, which is alcohol. And so like it all just kind of was fascinating, um, but there weren't that many other scientific studies on this. So then I kind of zoned into these doctors who published it. I emailed them. Next thing you know, they reply. We're talking, um, I'm, I'm asking them a bunch of questions. And, you know, for me, I never, after I left Nano, even though I transitioned my career, this was kind of like really exciting that I could look back into some of the academics work. So I just remember just asking them a bunch of questions. And it got to the point where I met up in person. They're in USC. I'm in Silicon Valley. It's an hour flight. So I came and had dinner with them. And then that grew into this project where we thought, oh, like, so you're actually making this. And you've done the toxicity studies to show that it's safe for consumers. You are actually trying to commercialize this, but they're all doctors full time. They kind of stopped there. And so my thing was, can I help you actually sell this? Like, can I distribute it? It'll be fun. So that's how it started. And then I gave it to friends and family, colleagues, and then that grew toward lots of word of mouth. There were times when I was working, I would get text messages from random numbers asking me <laughs> if I had if I had the goods. Wow. Which, which is funny because I, you know, I felt like I was a drug dealer because <laughs> I don't know who these guys are and I don't really know what they're asking for because, you know, through word of mouth, like, I'm not sure if they've quite understood what I was giving out. Yeah. Um, but these were like non-label samples and the initial one was powder and it was white powder in a vial. So I kind of wonder like <laughs> oh. if, they, if they've mistaken it. And how they were taking it. Yeah, but, <laughs> but so it was like really just funny. And I was still, I was at Tesla. So this was just like, a, it was like, it was like a quirky thing. I really didn't think much about it. Um, but then it, it grew, it grew. And we knew each time that the demand surpassed whatever we thought the demand would be. Because generally for us, we thought it works in Korea because of the crazy drinking culture. Um, this must not be a big deal in the States. But it turns out, you know, alcohol is consumed everywhere. And um, even if you drink moderately, the impact is still there the next day for many people. And so, yeah, we kept going. At some point, we've wanted to gauge people's interest, so made a website, launched it on a community called Product Hunt. That's when we went very viral. A lot of people voted our product, talked about it. We started giving samples. And then it got to the point where we distributed so many samples and the feedback was so overwhelmingly positive for us that we felt convinced that people would actually buy this. So then we wanted to launch it because we don't have a production line. You know, there's Doctor and there's me and I have my co-founder. None of us actually produce physical drink at mass. We work with a co-packer, an original equipment manufacturer, and they have what's called MOQ, which stands for um, minimum order quantity. And so we didn't want to order $50,000 worth of drinks that no one's going to buy. So then we've crowdfunded it. So we turned back to our community of people who bought our samples, tried our samples, and said, hey, we're launching this thing. If we hit this goal, we're going to kick it off. If not, we won't. Um, and we had a goal of 25000 And between my friend and I, we were going to chip in the extra 25000 if we had half the demand. But in three weeks, we made 252000 in pre-orders. And I think that was a really a turning point for us to think about, hey, we're like spending more than half of our day doing this than our day-to-day -day job. And our day-to-day -day job was pretty intense. Um, and so, uh, you know, at that point, we had long conversations on what to do with this. And ultimately, we decided um, this was worth it for us to drop what we're doing, move down to LA to be closer to USC, 
um, and then build a company out of this. And then, you know, fast forward 12 months, um, we're actually hitting our one year company anniversary next week. Um, and we've done over 6 million revenue. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So I'd like to just step back real sure. quick for a second. That was long. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that was good. So, um, you, uh, decided to raise 250,000 or you raised $250,000, turned it into a company, left Tesla. Um, that's a lot of demand to suddenly fulfill. Mm -hmm. How did you go about doing it? Did you hit any road bumps along the way? Well, there's massive amount of bumps. Cause the thing is we were very naive, um, and this is why I've, I thank Facebook because Facebook teaches you to be naive. Um, it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's a, I still think it's one of the best companies. I, I, I know they're going through a lot of the public pitfalls and it's not a perfect company and there's so many they have to improve, but generally they just allow employees to be sort of, you know, think wildly. And um, in the same, same sense, I just thought there's a big problem. We have a product that works it should work. But then the reality is building a company and creating supply chain and especially doing something that I've never done before where I don't understand the economics of this. So there's no good intuition for me to say, this is how much this should be priced, um, was a very difficult thing, but I just didn't think about it. So every hurdle as they come up, we just had to solve it and just, just figure it out. Most of them we got by, but there are definitely a few things that almost killed us where we just haven't thought about. And had we known it, we probably wouldn't have launched a company. That's, hence, that's why I, I thank Facebook. It's just uh, our naive thoughts that got us through. For example, um, at the time we were working with a factory in Korea because they were already making similar products. And so the infrastructure was just there to get, go, get going. Um, but we have to then bring it over to the States. And so it go, you, get, you put in a cargo, container it, it goes to um, a giant boat comes over and then it gets shipped uh, dropped off at a major port like like New York which was our first port um, you need to have a customs broker that handles it to know that that's how the government tracks what comes in tight inside the United States otherwise you're gonna smuggle everything I had no idea what a customer broker was so I just told the factory here's my port bring it ship it so their responsibility ended at putting their product into into the ship that was being um, carried over from South Korea to the US. Um, and then they all they just assume we were competent enough to know how to do the rest. <laughs> right? Because like no business partner they work with were as like noob as us. And so they never really asked us questions. We never asked them questions. So we were just like, okay, we'll we'll pick it up when it's arrives at the port. And Obviously, without customs broker, nothing can come in. And that was our first container, which already came pretty late. So our Indiegogo, was, which was the crowdfunding campaign we did, their first batch of customers were waiting three months for this. And the U.S. government essentially gave us a warning that they're going to ship it back, which means we're going to lose, we're going to pay extra money. Shipping uh, from Pacific Ocean takes three weeks. So that's another three weeks of delay to go to Korea, then bring it back. That's six weeks. And... We just launched a company. We thought if that happens, we're probably not going to survive because that's just, just bad first experience. Uh, and you need your first customers to love you to spread, uh, spread the love. Yeah, so that's probably almost killed us. The way we got away with it is um, there's a whole bunch of things. Like we went on LinkedIn and found the FDA agent that was at 
um, the port that actually gave us the warning to find their contact info. We called him, and we almost flew out and basically begged. But you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna bend the rules because you beg. But they understood our situation to give us enough time to solve this, uh, which is then get a customs broker and all of that. Um, but yeah, that was like that was tough and that was very close. Um, yeah, well, lots of stuff like that. Yeah. Did you experience any other challenges leading up to the launch? Um, yeah, when I launched Indiegogo, I was supposed to like halfway into Indiegogo, I kind of quit Tesla to because I wanted because you know the thing with Indiegogo was that majority of the wins came early on because it's then you know if if we make two fifty two thousand like. You kind of know you're winning because you you have to launch really quickly and gain momentum. So we made like hundred thousand dollars in the first week, and so we knew okay, wow, there's something here. Um, and so I, I I was I quit Facebook Tesla at the time because I wanted to go full time at Indiegogo, and my day was just responding to customers. But because I'm Canadian, I don't have visa, and so I actually quickly ended up raising a couple of. Um, about two hundred thousand dollars from U.S. VCs because Obama administration had a had a bill that if you raise two hundred thousand or more from a institutionalized U.S. VC, you get what's called in, um, international entrepreneurial rule, which is a specific visa that lets you stay here for up to five years. Um, and I wanted to stay in the U.S. and I just thought, okay, that'll just take care of itself. Um, unfortunately, the Trump administration actually pulled it out in july i launched indiegogo in july and so i was banking on this and then they pulled it out and so now i was in this like weird limbo of oh i actually don't have visa and i quit tesla and i was at tesla for h1b and you can stay in the country for two months after that and then you're like you're an illegal resident and so you know i had to go i i was essentially kicked out i, I went back to canada and launched the remaining of indiegogo while knowing that everything all the operations was happening in the states like we we had our warehouse there um, all of our customers are there. We're going to sell it there, so we work with um, FDA, not Health Canada. Um, yeah, so that was kind of scary because um, obviously I needed to find my way back in. Um, good thing was that because Indiegogo did really well, um, the traditional method of getting visa as an international entrepreneur, it's easier if you actually have a business that makes money. So I got a traditional visa called E2, which is, I think, stands for investor, or entre- I guess it stands for entrepreneur. Um, the crazy thing is their criteria is you have to show proof of hiring U.S. employees, like a U.S. citizen, and you have to come up with five-year business plan, and you have to show revenue in order to, <laughs> in order to get the visa. But with, it's like a chicken and egg problem. Like, how am I going to do I can't hire people. I, have to, I just made 100000 in pre-orders. That has to go to production. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, because I made, I raised you know, about 200000 from VCs for my visa, which was actually, I couldn't use it for that purpose. I used that to quickly hire our first two interns. And then we created a five-year business plan, which to be honest, is complete bullshit. <laughs> because I don't, I outsourced it. There's actually companies that do this for you, wow. where they will just write beautiful looking business plan. I, I actually haven't read it. Because I, like, there's no way I can come up with a five-year business plan when my company is one week old, like it's just insanity. So, you know, so we're doing revenue projection. I just remember data is something like revenue projection of like, we're going to make 50 million by 50, just whatever. And so we filed it in 
we showed proof of two interns that we've hired. Um, and then the Indiegogo was counted as revenue. Uh, and I was able to come back in time. I came back about a month later, wow. which is why I came in August and moved to LA instead of uh, July. Um, but that was like scary. Like at the time, you know, I'm thinking, uh oh, like I never thought I would have visa issues. Yeah. But here I am. Yeah. And I've heard horror stories about visa. And so, you know, I was freaking out. Yeah. So the most important question now is morning recovery. Where can I get it? Because I need it. Yeah. Uh, so it's sold on our website, morningrecoverydrink.com. It's also sold on Amazon. So if you have Prime membership, um, very easy to get it. And then we are now in three cities where we work with distributors to get into retail. So Chicago and L.A. and San Francisco. So in L.A., we, we're in about 150 different stores, but a lot of it is mom and pop local. So anywhere, convenience stores or liquor stores that sell alcohol um, is the type of place that we're in. Um, we're also, we also sell in places that's kind of unique, Urban Outfitters, Revolve, Free People. Um, they reached out. And so, you know, we've obviously when people ask for us to buy it, we, we don't say no. But that was something that was unique to us. But um, a lot of these fashion brands are getting into wellness. And so um, I guess they saw a good fit. Yeah. That's great. I can get at Urban Outfitters. I wouldn't expect that. Yeah. That's amazing. Did you did you know that this would be a hit? I mean, I, I know you raised a lot of money on Indiegogo, but did you think, yes, I'm going to really be able to turn this into a business? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I... I didn't know with certainty, but there is a certain certain level of conviction that you need. Otherwise, I wouldn't have I would have quit my job to do this. Um, for me, it just came down to how big of a problem this is, and it came down to whichever market has a large consumption of alcohol. Like the miserable feeling is not tied to something specific. It's not bound by race or gender. Um, or even age. A lot of people think as you get older, it's worse. Um, it, it's it's correlation. It's actually not a causation. Um, and so other than genetic um, sort of uh, individual differences, which actually determines your level of tolerance, because some people can sort of break down acetaldehyde faster and some people cannot, um, it's a universal problem. And so for me to know that, okay, and create such a big thing, even though the cultural difference is huge with Korea and U.S. and perhaps other parts of the world, um, I kind of knew that if I look at the alcohol market, there are huge, like it's a huge part of today's um, fabric. You know, we never encourage people to binge drink, but I, my philosophy has always been, this is a product for me, and I don't consider myself like a like a partier. I like to go out and have fun, um, but at the same time. I don't want that. I don't want that to cause cause pain for me the next day, where I can't do something, and I would gladly pay for something, where you know I can get my time back. And we thought, you know, sure, the best way is to tell people to never consume alcohol, um, which would be actually ideal if you thought if you thought if you think about it from an abstract perspective, like how do you solve this problem, prevent it from happening. Um, but we kind of like enjoy drinking, and so we we never thought of ourselves as this hardcore pharmaceutical company we kind of thought you know like we want people to celebrate and we want people to celebrate responsibly and we think there's enough people um, that would feel the same way as us and find this very valuable 
um, without sort of misusing this as a way to go out and drink even more. And so we had a pretty strong bet against that. And we knew that if we created a product that worked well, and if we branded it in a way that it doesn't incur, you know, I think branding is very important. It's it's the underlying message that you give out. Um, you know, there are some some brands out there that sort of is very tied to, um, let's say, partying and huge binge drinking. We've always thought, let's try to just stay away from that and target more people that are casual drinkers, and we would still find lots of success. And so far, um, that's what we've seen. You know, what's crazy is that most of our, our median um, age for uh, morning recovery is actually late 30s, um, which is counterintuitive to a lot of people who think that college students would love this. Um, and it's because like these people are just highly productive. They have sort of enough income where they're making a choice of it's time versus money, like what's worth more for me. Um, I don't want to suffer extra four hours if I can save it for five bucks. And it's a good trade for many people. Um, and so we we sort of like had a big bet that if we find value here, certainly a lot of people would find value and we're not a heavy drinker. Yeah. So how do people feel? You you wake up in the morning yeah. after, you know, drinking a little bit too much. Yeah. You're a little bit groggy. You go to Urban Outfitters, grab or wherever, yeah. <laughs> grab a, a morning recovery. Yeah. Then so you, you have to consume it before you go to sleep. Okay. Yeah. So, um, the whole like alcohol, um, the physiology of alcohol is actually quite complex and interesting. Um, the miserable feeling, um, and you know, we call it hangover, right? Like that's how we loosely define it, actually comes once your blood alcohol concentration hits zero. That's when it peaks. Okay. So it doesn't happen when you're consuming alcohol. So there's always this like joke where if you want to be fine, you just keep drinking. <laughs> um, and it's actually, it's kind of true. You know, if you ever, do you ever realize those days where you're just drinking way too much when you shouldn't? It doesn't hit you that day. It hits you the next day. It was your ball so and and so there's a way alcohol gets processed in the body and part of that is alcohol in its true form is ethanol. Um, whether it's beer or spirit or wine, it's just ethanol diluted in some form factor. You need to break that down into something called acetaldehyde and that breaks down to acetic acid and you essentially pee it out. Um, if you don't do that, you will die. And for some people, they don't have the genetic makeup to create those uh, enzymes. And so alcohol is just, it's not even a hangover, like you just, it's toxic for you. But most of us, we break it down. The problem is the rate at which we break down is very is very constant. And so if you consume too much, too much or too fast than what you really should be, those toxins build up. And so the key for us is always about how do we help your body break it down faster than your nat natural ability. And so you need this in your body. Um, before, you know, sort of, sort of um, you wake up. Um, I say before you wake up because most use cases of people drinking is at night. But it, it, it wouldn't make sense if you were to day drink. Then it would be sort of during. Okay. Um, yeah. So if you already wake up and you have this miserable feeling, a lot of it is essentially comes down to things like acetaldehyde buildup causing inflammation in your body. And at that point, unfortunately, we don't have a good solution right now other than to hydrate yourself and rest. And so the Go key the is... Do a little hot yoga. Yeah, and so the key is <laughs> key is um, prevent that uh, buildup of toxin and inflammation from happening from the first place. Um, and it's kind of like, it's not magic. Like, we're not creating anything rocket science here. Your body already does something. We're just helping you do it faster um, by supplementing it. And, in you know, even though, let's say, you and I... Um, 
even though um, we drink the same amount, the buildup of that toxin can be vastly different based on our genetic makeup. That's why, you know, I have some friends who's clearly just like much smaller than me, which means their blood alcohol concentration is probably a lot higher when, when he consumes the same amount, but he never com complains the next day. Right. And it's just, that's how he's, he's ability. He has the ability to break it down a lot faster than me. Um, and so all we're doing is trying to speed that up for you. Yeah. What advice would you give to any entrepreneurs who want to start out? They're working for Ubers, Teslas, Facebooks, Twitters, and they've got this one idea and they're super passionate about it. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, like, there's probably, like, it's weird because I'm, I'm, I need to receive more advice that I'm not really in the position to give. But one thing that helped for me was the fact that I kind of started this as a fun project. I don't actually believe in the notion that you have to go all in. There's, I think, this this sort of a myth, this myth that in order to create something unique and amazing, you need to be extremely passionate and pour your heart out. And I think it's true. Like at some point, anything great requires really like hard work. But in order to test the demand and get things going, I don't think you need to do that. Uh, I think the biggest thing is is what you're creating actually useful, because most of the times people are solving a problem that is a problem for them. They have big intuition and they feel like it's a problem for everyone else. Um, but you don't know that. What's a problem for you may not be that much of a deal for other people. And even though you might pay $100 to solve it, other people might just brush it off. It's just, just it's the same thing as when I went to Kenya, right? Well, it was a problem there. Here wasn't a problem there. And so those are things that you can easily test by sharing your ideas. Go out there, survey, communicate. Um, build what's called um, in the startup world. There's all this idea of like MVP, which stands for minimum viable product. It makes sense. Like build something very hacky that you're not very proud of, but that actually solves a, a pain point that you're trying to solve and then see how people use. And I think that'll give you an idea of, am I actually building something that people care about? And that's our show for this week. If you enjoyed it, make sure to subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, why not add a review to let us know what you think? You can also find us at laisgoodforyou.com. See you next week.